the, uh, today's text, Daniel 10. I'll be reading in the King James from the G King James Version. Hear the word of the Lord, Daniel 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing <clears throat> and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. And in the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hedekel, uh, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. His body also was like the beryl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like a in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a, a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide them, themselves. Therefore I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understood the words, understand the words that I speak unto you, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I am come for your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the king of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall your people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord for as for me straightway there remain no strength in me neither is there breath left in me then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man and he strengthened me and said O man greatly beloved fear not peace be unto thee be strong yea be strong and when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened. And I said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grisha will come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael, your prince. 
This is God's word. Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. We pray that you would use it now to continue conforming us into the image of your son. We pray that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. We pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. Uh, we pray that you would challenge us if that's what we need. Father, we, we pray that you would speak and we pray that your spirit would open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to, to listen and to receive your word and then to not only be hearers but to be doers of your word. Father, please bless the reading and the preaching of your word for your sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 10. So we are two weeks away from finishing our journey through the book of Daniel, and it has indeed been a journey, especially these last few weeks as we've considered the apocalyptic section of the book of Daniel. Uh, last week, we finished Daniel 9 with our, uh, by walking through the 70 weeks that Daniel unpacks for us. Um, and now we're entering into the last section, the last unit of the book of Daniel. So Daniel chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12 form one unit. There is one more vision that is given to Daniel. And it's not the vision that we see here whenever he sees the angels and he sees this first figure that, that, that we encounter. And we're going to discuss all that in a minute. But there's one more word from the Lord. And basically chapter 10 is a lengthy introduction. And I am the perfect person to preach a passage that is a lengthy introduction. Okay, so I'm very familiar with, with a, a lengthy introduction like, like Daniel chapter 10. But Daniel chapter 10 is an introduction to this final section. And then Daniel chapter 11, going through about midway through chapter 12, you have the vision and then some final words to Daniel as the book wraps up. So we're going to consider Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12 together next week. And, and we'll, we'll finish, finish the book of Daniel next Sunday. So this morning, we're just going to consider the introduction, this, this ramping up, this leading up to this great and final word from the Lord to Daniel. Um, the, Daniel 10, basically, once again, as most of the chapters in Daniel do, you know, a lot of people would contend, you know, Daniel is a book about God, it's not about Daniel. And, and I understand that, you know, that assertion. It, it is. It is about God. That's, you know, God's sovereignty, God's control of history, his providence is in every single chapter of the book. It is a book that is about God. And, and you have these allusions to the Son of Man. You even see Jesus multiple times throughout the book of Daniel. However, to, to neglect the fact that the book of Daniel is about Daniel does disservice to the book. It, it is a book about Daniel in a lot of ways, and so he's, he's acting in so many different ways throughout this book. And in Daniel chapter 10, we see Daniel interacting in three different ways. First, we see Daniel fasting and praying. And, and then the second thing we see is we see Daniel encountering or seeing this glorious being. And then and finally, Daniel interacts with these angels. I hope you notice that there are three interactions we're going to talk about when we get to it, but there are three interactions, and every single time the angel touches Daniel, I so badly wanted to, to title this sermon, Touched by an Angel, you know, and just be super, super corny. My mom would love that. Like my mom used to always watch that show, um, so uh, that would have been very appropriate, but I'm just not quite that corny. I can't stand to do it. So Zach, wherever you are, please do not title this sermon, Touched by an Angel, okay? Just don't do it. You know what's going to be. I know he's going to do it now that I said that, but it's okay. But yeah, so Daniel inter interacts with an angel. Before that, he encounters a glorious being, and then before that, we see Daniel fasting and praying. And it may not be totally obvious at first what's going on, but Daniel 10 is historically significant. Okay, so at the very beginning here, if you're not overly familiar with this point in the history of Israel, it may not stand out to you, but there's something right at the beginning of chapter 10 that is striking. So throughout the book of Daniel, Daniel, if, if you're not familiar, from the very beginning, Daniel has been brought over on a convoy from Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquered the city of Jerusalem. He brought these exiles back to Babylon, and from the time Daniel was a teenager, he has lived in the Babylonian Empire, and now he's under the rule of the Persians, but he's in the city of Babylon. He has been his entire life. And the entire time, he has been longing for and hoping for and praying for the return from exile to the city of Jerusalem. It's, it's Daniel's greatest dream. He wants it more than anything in the world to go back to the city of Jerusalem. And he wants to be a part of God's will. And yet, as he's in 
Babylon, he remains faithful to the Lord. He remains faithful to God in all these different ways as we've seen Daniel throughout the book. And now we're coming to the very end and, and Daniel is, is an older man. He's in his you know, late 80s, early 90s probably at this time. And at the very beginning of chapter 10, we see in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. And then we learn in verse 4 where Daniel is when he receives this word. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. Daniel's still in Babylon. Here's why that's significant. By the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, the exiles have returned home. The exiles have returned home. In the first year of, of King Cyrus's reign, he decreed, this is in 538, BC, he decreed for the Jews to return to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding the temple and the city. I'm, I'm going to turn here. You don't have to worry about it. But in Ezra chapter 6, this, this is what we see in, in verse 3. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. So in the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issues a decree which allows the, the Jews who are, who are exiled in Babylon to return to their homeland for the purpose of rebuilding the temple. And back in Daniel 10, in the third year, so 536 BC, in 538 BC, the Jews can go home. In 536 BC, Daniel's not home. Daniel's not home. Daniel is still in Babylon, which, you know, causes us to ask the question, why didn't Daniel return with the rest of the exiles? Why is Daniel still receiving visions and dreams and, and, word, and words from the Lord in Babylon when he is free to return home? Um, a few, few answers we could give. First, a practical one his age. Daniel's very old, okay? Daniel's old, so he's in his late 80s, he's in his early 90s. Um, making the journey back would have been more difficult for Daniel than some of the others, and so uh, maybe it's just a practical thing. He just doesn't feel like he can make the journey, and so he wants, he wants to just stay where he is and live out the rest of his days in Babylon. A second reason is wisdom. Daniel's really wise, Daniel has proven himself time and time again to be a man who pursues wisdom and to demonstrate wisdom. And so Daniel knew that the return to Jerusalem would require a tremendous amount of physical labor. Okay, they're rebuilding the city. They are rebuilding the temple. And so his role in that, he, he's just not sure how, how helpful he can be in the rebuilding of the temple. And he also knew that God had raised up other leaders like Ezra, like Nehemiah, like, like some others that are mentioned in, in the book of Ezra, he raised up other leaders to oversee the, the rebuilding of, of the temple in the city. This restoration process has been given under the leadership of other leaders, not Daniel. And so, so Daniel looks at, at those realities, and he may, may have just made a wise decision. I'm going to, to stay back. I'm going to stay out of this. A third reason, though, is one we've seen throughout the book. Daniel is very close to God and he's very content with God's will. He's very close to God, and he's very content in God's will. So, so Daniel knew better than maybe any other Jew at the time that he did not need the temple, and he did not need the city of Jerusalem to be close to God, okay? He, he, he did not need the city. He did not need the temple. He was content to play whatever role God would have him play in his plans for his people, so, so God has providentially hindered Daniel from seeing Jerusalem again, for whatever reason. The Lord has providentially hindered him, and Daniel is completely content to play whatever role God would have him play in the plans of his people. So, so Daniel's in Babylon. He does not return with the convoy back to Jerusalem. He stays in Babylon. Now, what, how does he spend his time? How does he spend his time? That's, that's kind of the introduction here. And we, we see in verse 2, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth. 
nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So, so we have Daniel here. He's fasting. He's, he's mourning. He's, he's not eating the food that he would typically normally eat. He's not eating meat. He's not, he's not drinking wine. He's, he's not, you know, partaking of any delicate food or special food. He's, he doesn't even anoint his beard with oil, right? That was a joke. He didn't pick up on it, but it's okay. Um, but he, he doesn't anoint himself. He doesn't anoint himself at all. So he is, he is demonstrating both physically and spiritually a, a state of mourning before the Lord, and, and typically, this morning involved fasting, and it involved prayer. And we know that Daniel prayed because of what we see a little bit later. So Daniel is spending his time in Babylon fasting and praying. And he, he set apart three weeks to do this. And, a, you know, a man in his late 80s, early 90s, dedicating three weeks to fast and to mourn and to pray. Why was he mourning? Well, we, we kind of have to, to guess a little bit, but we know enough about the history to, to probably know. When the people were allowed to go back to Jerusalem, there was a surprising small amount of people that took, it, took advantage of that. There were a lot of Jews that were just content living in Babylon. Like, eh, temple, who cares? Eh, Jerusalem, not a big deal for me like it was for my ancestors. And so, so not that many people went back, and it was, it, was, it was sad. It was worthy of mourning that. But at the same time, the rebuilding project in Jerusalem was met with tremendous opposition. And so Daniel's not on the ground in Jerusalem. Daniel's not a young man anymore where he can be involved in, in a lot of the things that some of those other leaders are involved with in the city of Jerusalem while all of this is going on. So what does Daniel do while he's in Babylon? He gets on his knees and he prays, he fasts, he mourns. So Daniel, although he's in Babylon, was actively involved in the work in Jerusalem through prayer. Now, now what effect did Daniel's prayers have? Because you may just be thinking, okay, so old, old guy Daniel praying, cool, but these people over here are suffering and they're struggling. They're the ones who are really doing the work. You know, that's great Daniel's praying, but, you know, you almost view it kind of passively like, well, that's, that's all Daniel could do. You know, poor Daniel, he's just able to pray, that's it, while everybody else is really doing the hard work. What effect did Daniel's prayers have? Look down to verse 12. If, if you look down to verse 12 in chapter 10, uh, an angel comes to Daniel, and here's what he says. Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. I have come because of your words. So Daniel sets his heart to pray to the Lord. He fasts and he mourns, and an angel is summoned. Daniel prays, and the Lord hears his prayer, and he sends an angel. And, and what, do we see, what do we see about this angel? So it's not just an angel that comes to Daniel to comfort Daniel, but what has this angel been doing? If you look in verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days for the vision is for days yet to come Daniel is praying and the Lord sends an angel who is fighting against demonic forces in Persia and then and then this angel comes to Daniel but Daniel's prayers have this supernatural power to them and it's not because Daniel is a supernatural or super special kind of person it's the nature of prayer and how God responds to prayer so something for us to consider as, as we see Daniel in Babylon praying on behalf of his people in Jerusalem He's not with them. He's not able to do anything physical. He's not having conversations with anyone to try to relieve the, the political tensions. He's simply on his knees praying, and it has a powerful impact. Here's something for us to consider. Prayer is more powerful than we often think. Prayer is more powerful than we often think. We often think of prayer, maybe I'm just projecting a little bit, because, you know, admittedly, if I could confess this, this is how I tend to think of prayer as a passive exercise. 
It's passive. It's secondary. It's something I do when I don't feel like I can do anything else. But if I could do something else, I would do that instead of pray. You know? Um, we, we think of prayer as the least significant, least important, and least effective thing we can do to advance the mission of God. I, I remember growing up in church and hearing of, you know, some of my Sunday school teachers, and they would, they would call themselves prayer warriors, you know, or, or prayer partners, and I would just roll my eyes at that so, so hard, and I was like, well, yeah, that's convenient. You get to be a prayer partner. We're all over here doing the work. Like, you're just, you're just kind of sitting this one out, just praying, or, you know, you have these people that are being sent to Africa or being sent all over the world to do missions, and it's like, oh, you're going to pray? Congrat! Like, thank you so much, you know? Like, we're, we're over here giving our lives and risking our lives, and you're just able to sit and drink your coffee and, and talk to God? Like, yeah, I'd love that job. And, but we do that. We think of prayer as, as the least important, the least effective, the least significant thing we can do to advance God's mission. However, what we see in Daniel 10 is that prayer is a necessary means by which God accomplishes his purposes. It is a necessary means by which God accomplishes his purposes. It made me think of our uh, Thanksgiving celebration this past Wednesday. So I had two conversations which, which essentially confirmed this for me. Um, I, you know, when I got there, I started talking to Matt about his trip to India. And I was just asking him how it went and how the Lord moved. And he told me all these stories about how the Lord had responded, how the Lord had moved in the lives of the people he interacted with. And it was just so encouraging to hear of, of how God is working, you know, in India. And then about, I don't know, probably an hour later toward the end of the night, uh, I was just standing out talking to Miss Barbara, and we were having a conversation, and then Matt comes by, and, and Miss Barbara looks at Matt, and she says, hey, so glad you're back. Just want to let you know I prayed for you every single day. I prayed for you every single day. We are not biblically faithful if we do not see a connection between the two. The Lord moving and working through people who were sent out on mission and those who were home praying for the Lord to move and for the Lord to work every single day. Prayer is a necessary means by which God accomplishes his purposes. And we so often belittle the power and significance of prayer. Do you see this? Where Daniel prayed and an angel comes to him in response. The angel says, I came because of your prayers. You know? The Lord could have sent the angel, and he has sent angels without Daniel praying anything. But, but here we clearly have an example. Daniel prayed, and in response to that prayer, an angel comes to Daniel. Okay, but, but there's another, another takeaway that we, we can see here. We all have crucial roles to play in the fulfillment of God's mission. We all do. No matter our season of life, no matter our giftings, no matter uh, our, our resources, we all have crucial roles to play. So my encouragement to you would be in three negatives. Ready? Don't despise your role in God's mission. How tempting would it have been for Daniel to grumble that he doesn't get to go back to Jerusalem? For whatever reason, you know, maybe it is practical, maybe it is wise, but he could still be discontent and he could still grumble, you know, to the Lord. Why wait? Why now? Why do I have to be in my 80s? Why do I have to be this frail when the people get to go back to Jerusalem? Why couldn't this have happened 30 years ago? You know, you have these, these young whippersnappers and they're able to go back and they have not been through what I've been through. Why can't I be the one to go back? Why can't I go back? Here's what Daniel recognized. His role in the mission of God has shifted. His role has shifted. He's in a new stage of life. He's in a new season of life. And so Daniel, as wise as he is, would have 15 years ago, would have 30 years ago, been a, a, in, a, such an important figure in that rebuilding process in Jerusalem. He would have been crucial. He would have been one of those leaders. He would have been one of the best. But now at this stage of life, Daniel recognizes that his role in God's mission has shifted, and now he becomes a prayer warrior. Now he is on his knees praying on behalf of his people. Now he is fasting and he is mourning before the Lord and crying out to the Lord to, to continue working through those who were in Jerusalem at the time. So don't despise your role in God's mission, whatever it may be at this season of your life. Don't despise it. Secondly, don't neglect your gifts in the body of Christ. Don't neglect your gifts. Don't, you, you may look at someone else and wish you had the gift that they had. Don't do that. 
Don't do that. The Lord made no mistakes in the gifts that he gave you. He made no mistakes in the way that he created you. He made no mistakes in the personality that he gave you, even though I sometimes think he did make a mistake in the personality he gave me. But he has, he has created you exactly as you are, and he has gifted you on purpose to advance his mission in this place where you find yourself and throughout the world. So, so don't neglect your gifts. Instead, recognize your gifts and use them. Find ways to use them in our body, okay? And then finally, don't grumble about your stage of life. Don't grumble about your stage of life. Your role in the mission of God will change throughout your life. There is going to come a day, for whatever reason, that I will be unable to stand and proclaim God's word. It will come. It will come, and there will be a shift. However, even if your role in the kingdom of God shifts and it changes, your place in God's mission will never change. You will always and forever have a place in the mission of God, and you will never be useless in the advancement of God's kingdom. You will never be useless, and you are not useless now. So, so don't, don't focus on what you wish you could do, and instead, look at how the Lord has gifted you, and look at the stage of life you're in, and then ask the Lord to show you how you can leverage your place in the kingdom for the advancement of the kingdom here. So, a final word for us here. If we are going to glorify God by making disciples in Tupelo and among the nations, it's going to take every single one of us. Okay, We can't just rely on a few people who we believe are supremely gifted to accomplish this mission. It takes every single one of us. Okay. The second thing we see Daniel doing here is probably the most beautiful and if, if we meditate on it for a few minutes, terrifying portion of, of the passage. Daniel encounters a glorious being. That's, that's what I'm going to how I'm going to refer to it at this point. Daniel encounters a glorious being. So in verse 5, in verse 5, after we get the context, Daniel is, is at the Tigris River, and he, he's about to see something. So in verse 5, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves." So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. We start with the description of this, of this man. So in verse 5, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man. Okay, so there, here's the description of the man. He's clothed in linen. He wore a belt of fine gold. His body was like beryl, which is like a gemstone. His face was like lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and legs had the gleam of bronze, and his words were like the sound of a multitude. There, there are a number of interpretive questions in Daniel 10, and they all relate to the angelic beings. How many, how many angelic beings are present in Daniel 10, and what's their identity? Only one of them is given a name, Michael, and, and Michael's only reference to, we don't, we don't actually encounter Michael, the, the chief prince uh, here in, in Daniel 10. Um, so who is this glorious being? Um, show of hands. Raise your hand if you think it's Jesus. No one. Oh, Matt. Thanks, man. All right. One guy in the room thinks that this man is Jesus. There, there are so many different ways that you can look at this. Um, whether this is a pre-incarnate, you know, uh, appearance of God the Son uh, or not, people, people disagree on that. So that's the question. Is this a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus? What I would say is that maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Isn't that so helpful? Maybe, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Let's go with both options, okay? So maybe it is. Turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 1. This, is, this will be fun. Maybe it is.
Revelation chapter 1, we see a pretty similar description. All right, Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 12. This is John writing. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. All right, so pretty, pretty similar, right? Okay, so then let's just make sure we know who we're talking about here. Uh, verse 16, In his right hand held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the, shining, the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. So similar response that Daniel has. Uh, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So that's Jesus, okay, clearly, right? That's Jesus. The description is similar. So turn back to Daniel 10. The description is similar. So he sees a man that's clothed in linen, and he, and he, gives, he gives the whole description. So it could, it could be Jesus, okay? It could be Jesus, but... I'm not 100% confident to just say this is Jesus, and since I'm not 100% confident, I can't tell you that this is Jesus, and here's why. Here's the maybe not side. So maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Daniel uses different language for this being than he does of the Son of Man in chapter 7. Okay, he could, like, he could have easily, easily referenced back to the Son of Man in chapter 7, and he just uses different language. It's slightly different. It's not significantly different. So this, this really could be the same figure that we see, um, but, but he does use different language. So that's, that's what leaves the question up in the air. So maybe it is Jesus, maybe it isn't. Either way, either way, the same point is being made. This being, whether it's Jesus or just a, a glorious angel, reflects the glory of God. Reflects the glory of God. So the greatness of God is symbolized by the way his body and his voice are described. And then the goodness of God is symbolized by the linen, which was the clothing of the high priest that he would wear. So you have the goodness of God on display, the greatness of God on display, the glory of God in this one figure on full display. It could be an angel reflecting the glory of the Lord, which is what angels do. It, it could be God the Son himself. However, it leaves the same impact on Daniel. He falls to his face. He falls into a deep sleep. He loses all of his strength. I mean, this was a man who had been fasting for three weeks. And then he may encounter God the Son in, in, a, in a vision. And, and so he's, he falls down. He's in a deep sleep with his face to the ground. This man left a distinct mark on Daniel. So one, one just pastoral you know, comment we can make here is that God is more glorious than we often think. If prayer is more powerful than we often think, God is more glorious than we often think. I, I do always uh, approach stories that, that talk about people who have these encounters with God, you know, these, these visions that they have of Jesus, or they, they'll say that, you know, God appeared to them, or, or whatever it is, or an angel was with them and appeared to them, was talking with them, and there's no indication that they were just on their face. We don't have, they don't, they don't tell me, their, their, their story is very different from Daniel's. Daniel's on his face. Daniel passes out in the presence of this glorious being. And so anyone who would say, yeah, I was talking to Jesus the other day, he's standing right next to me. It's like, you were talking, like you were standing up and having this conversation and Jesus was in the room? Like, that's not what we see in scripture. The glory of God is devastating. It is terrifying, and we would enter the presence of God with much trembling. And the only way that we could ever enter into the presence of God at all is because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Because sinners entering into the presence of God is immediate death. He is far more glorious than we often think. God's glory is terrifying, and it should leave us trembling so when you encounter the glory of God even in the pages of scripture it should leave you a changed person encountering God's glory leaves a mark on your life it changes you 
So God is more glorious than we often think. The final interaction that we see with Daniel here comes, and this is the fun part, it's his interaction with the angel. Okay, so Daniel interacts with an angel. Uh, this starts in verse 10. Um, once again, we, we kind of have to make an, an interpretive choice. How many angels are in view here? Because you have, you have verse 10, and then you have verse 16, and then you have verse 18. So time and time again, you see an angel that's coming to Daniel. Are these three different angels? Is this the same figure that we saw in verse 5, verses 5 through 9, the man clothed in linen? Is it the same one? Is, do we have two angels? Do we have three angels? What I'll say is that we have two beings present here. The first one is either Jesus or a glorious angel. Okay, so, so one of the two. I'm not, not 100% sure, but one of the two. And then I think there's one more angel that's present here who makes three appearances. One more angel that interacts with Daniel on three separate occasions. So this angel is sent to Daniel to offer him comfort and then to reveal a vision to him. And actually, this one angel is going to be the one who speaks all the way through the end of chapter 11. So um, let's, let's kind of look at this, uh, uh, these three interactions. So there are three angelic interactions. The first one comes in verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Okay, so... First interaction, we have this angel who touches Daniel and helps him recover from his encounter with the first being. So Daniel, is, is, his strength is drained from him. He essentially passes out on the ground, and this angel comes and touches him and restores his strength. And then the angel tells him why he's come. I've come to share a word with you. I've come to reveal something to you. And then he, he tells Daniel the reason that he's there is because of Daniel's prayers. He also lets Daniel in on a little secret that most of us don't get to see in the world. That his arrival was delayed because you notice that Daniel began praying three weeks ago. So, so three weeks ago, Daniel starts praying. And, you know, the angel tells him, as soon as you started praying, I was sent out to you. And so we either have to say that, you know, heaven is three weeks away from earth, you know, um, or we just take what the, the angel says here. And he's like, I would have been here sooner. However, I was involved in a battle. Okay, I, I was fighting the prince of Persia, and since he refers to Michael as the chief prince, um, the, the chief angel, we know that there is some kind of uh, demonic being that's being referred to. The prince of Persia is a demon. Um, for 21 days, he struggled against this, this prince of Persia, and he asked Michael to come and help him. Michael came and helped him. I just love that, how casual that is, right? Like, Daniel's just sitting there, and this angel's talking to him. He's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry I'm late. Like, you know, I've done this so many times when I've been late. Like, so sorry I'm late. Got caught across town. The train was there. You know, just making up excuses. This, you know, this angel's here like, yeah, man, I would have been here sooner, but, you know, I, I got caught up fighting that demon over in Persia. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just happens. Life, right? I mean, Daniel is like, the curtain is kind of pulled back, and Daniel gets to see the spiritual realm, the spiritual world, and what's actually happening, you know, in the world. So, uh, so Daniel encounters this, this angel for the first time. Well, then Daniel has a response to this, which would have probably been mine. When he had spoken to me according to these words in verse 15, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. It's like, man, no kidding. Like, this is so... Like, Daniel, like, he, he passes out because he sees this glorious being. He wakes up, and an angel's talking to him about fighting demons in Persia, you know? He's like, y'all, just, just let me sleep. Like, I can't, I, I can't do this. And he can't talk. He's mute or dumb, right? Um, as the King James Version would say. Um, so um, in verse 16, And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. So once again, you have this angel who comes and touches him. And don't, don't get weirded out about the Lord language, okay? It's just it's a word of respect, you know, that he's giving. This isn't the Lord God. This isn't, uh, likely is not Jesus here. Uh, so, so he just, he, 
the angel touches him. He recovers his speech. And then Daniel just tells the angel, I'm tired. I'm drained. This is overwhelming. I don't know if we can have this conversation too much longer. I don't, I don't know if I can do this. And so then Daniel has a third uh, interaction with this angel in verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. So he tells him again, I'm so tired. So he touches him again and he strengthens him. And he says, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. So Daniel's freaking out. I mean, he is wigging out over, over this experience, this encounter that he's having. And so this angel just touches him again, strengthens him again, and he just says, listen, I know you're afraid, but you need to know you are greatly loved. You are greatly loved. This is the second time that we see this in Daniel 9 and Daniel 10. And then he, and then he gives him this Jesus language, right? He uses language that Jesus gives us. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and courageous. And then, then the angel, you know, just talks with him more, and he says in verse 20, do you know why I've come to you? I hope Daniel, like, had an answer to that, because he doesn't tell him. Um, so, do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So he tells him. He tells him his plans. I'm returning to fight the princes of Persia. And then later, and later, by later, it's 200 years later. Okay? 200 years later, Greece is going to come along and I'm going to fight against those princes as well. And then he says, I'm going to tell you about the future of your people. And he does that in chapter 11. Um, what's the takeaway? What's the, what's the pastoral takeaway for us as we consider this, this angelic activity, this spiritual activity? Um, this is a hard one for me. Spiritual activity is more real than we often think. Spiritual activity is more real than we often think. When we read of angels and demons... We typically have one of two responses, neither of which are good, okay? One, we widen our eyes in fear, and we start seeing angels and demons around every single corner, okay? We're so aware of, of the spiritual in the physical that we see it in everything. We see demons in breakfast, you know? We see, we see angels, you know, in every single thing that happens, and uh, so, so we, we widen our eyes in fear, or... This is my typical response. We roll our eyes and we ignore the clear testimony of Scripture. All right, my, my tendency is to, you know, hear of spiritual activity or when people start saying things like, you know, oh man, like, you know, we're in a spiritual war. You know, there are demons, you know, this is demonic. Like, you know, that language, like, this is demonic. There are demons at work here. Or, you know, the angels are going to come and help. I'm just always like, oh, okay. And I just roll my eyes at it. That's not a godly response either. Because there is a clear testimony of Scripture that angels and demons are real. And angels and demons are active in the world. So governments are scary in and of themselves, right? Persia is scary by itself, okay? Like, it, we don't, like, you just look at Persia and Cyrus and their power and their might and all the war. That, that they were engaging in, they're scary. Now you know that there are demons working through Persia. What can we say about these angelic interactions? Three things. First, the world is more than it seems. The world is more than it seems. And that's the purpose of apocalyptic literature. We're still in apocalyptic literature, and the purpose of it is to reveal not just the future, but how the world really is. What, what does Daniel 7 teach us? It teaches us that these earthly kingdoms aren't just powerful, they're beasts. They're beastly. It, apocalyptic literature uses this, this symbolic language to show us and to reveal to us what the world really is. It's an unmasking of the world as it really is. So angels and demons are active behind the scenes in the world. There are unseen spiritual realities at work in the world every single day. 
My favorite quote that I found on this is from Abraham Kuyper. Um, he, he wrote, If once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came into view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, so sweeping, everything within its range, that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. So there is a spiritual realm that is active in and behind the scenes of everything that's happening in our physical world. There are angels and there are demons at work and at war with one another behind the scenes. So it's, it's just really interesting how we're given this big picture of what's happening in the world through these visions. The Lord tells Daniel, here's what's going to happen. These kingdoms are going to come and then they're going to go. These, kingdoms, these kings are going to rise up and then they're going to come down and I'm sovereign over it all. Okay, I'm in control of these kings and these kingdoms, and, and they, do, they do as I allow them to do. But then we're given this more intimate picture. It's like the curtain is pulled back, as Kuiper tells us. And what we see is that one of the ways that the Lord does that is through angels combating and fighting against demons. And what's more striking, what's more striking here is that Daniel's prayer caused an angel to respond. So we have a role in this unseen world as well. The world is more than it seems. The second thing we see here, though, and this is what's most practical for us as Christians, spiritual warfare is real. Okay, spiritual warfare is real. Turn to Ephesians 6. It's always a healthy reminder for me, especially in my skepticism. Paul is finishing out his letter to the church at Ephesus. And in verse 10, he writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, key. Daniel picked up on this. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Spiritual warfare is real. As Christians, we are in a battle. But we are not in a physical battle. We're not in a battle against, you know, Disney or now Chick-fil-A, right? Like, what's our new battleground? You know, what's it going to be? What's it going to bring? We're, we're, we're not at war with flesh and blood. We are at war against the rulers, the authorities, and the cosmic powers over this present darkness. So how do we fight how do we fight in this spiritual war? We fight with the means that God has given us. We fight with truth. We fight with righteousness. We fight with the gospel of peace. We fight with faith and salvation and the word of God. And we fight with prayer, praying at all times, in all circumstances. So a word for us here. We must pray for the kingdom to advance. Why? A reason that I typically don't give. Because there are cosmic powers at work to stop the kingdom from advancing. There are cosmic powers at work to stop the kingdom from advancing. So one of the reasons that we pray for the kingdom to advance is because it's through our prayer that those battles are fought. Those spiritual unseen battles are fought. An example that I always uh, love to go to, you can turn to this later, is 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. That one of, one of the reasons that, that people are not responding in faith 
to the gospel is because the God of this world has blinded them, has blinded them. And it's through the gospel that the light of Jesus Christ shines in the darkness. So evangelism and missions, just as two examples, are spiritual battles that we fight. And we must fight by continuing to pray for the gospel to advance as we take the gospel to our unbelieving neighbors. So it's not enough for us to resolve to say, we're going to evangelize our city. We're going to increase our missions partners and we're going to take the gospel, we're going to take mission trips and we're going to proclaim the gospel all over the world. That's part of it. We also need to be praying. You want to see our city reach for the gospel? How often do you pray for that? How often do you pray for that? How often do you pray for lives to be transformed by Jesus? You, you want to see our church grow in community and in love for one another? How often do you pray for that? We belittle the power of prayer. We, we neglect the glory of God, and, and we ignore the presence of spiritual warfare. We must fight by continuing to pray for the gospel to advance. One final word. Um, because I don't want you to, to leave in a spirit of fear, like, wow, yeah, there are demons all over the place. And just praying constantly, uh, please, Lord, send your angels to fight. And like you're just kind of ducking, you know, in this like war that's happening over your head or something. Um, even though we see this angel tell Daniel, hey, listen, I would have been there, but I struggled. I struggled against the prince of Persia. You're like, you're kind of startling at first, right? Like what, an angel of the Lord was struggling in this spiritual conflict and battle against a demon? How is that possible? Well, because the angel of the Lord is not the Lord. Well, here's one thing we can be confident in. The Son of Man will prevail against all evil. The Son of Man will prevail. The angel in Daniel 10 needed the help of Michael to defeat the prince of Persia. Okay, he needed the help of Michael to defeat the prince of Persia, which he did, by the way. But the final victory over sin and Satan and death is secure because the victor is God himself. And he needs no help. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need the help from any of his angels. He conquers all evil, all sin, Satan himself, and death itself in the cross of Christ. So although spiritual battles rage on in this world, the war has been won. Satan's defeat is certain. On the cross, Satan struck Jesus' heel, but Jesus crushed his head. So angels and children of God wage spiritual war from a position of victory. The victory is sure. It's certain. We see that at the end of Paul's letter to the Roman Christians. At the end of Romans 16, we have this beautiful and glorious benediction that, that Paul offers to them. He says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What a word. What a word for us. So as we wage spiritual warfare through prayer and through the word and through truth and righteousness and all the other means that God has given us, as we pray diligently for the gospel to advance in our city and among the nations, we do so from a position of victory and confidence that soon... The God of peace, who has reconciled us to himself by the blood of his son, will crush Satan under our feet. And, and in the meantime, he provides the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to withstand and persevere. Let's pray together.